Hey, Aaron, do you mm-hmm. like uh, do you like monkeys? You know what? They're a very underrated band. The Headquarters album. Listen to the band. No, Last no, Parts. no, not the monkeys. Monkeys. Huh? Do you like monkeys? Yeah, I mean the animal. Yeah. Do you like like trained monkeys? <laughs> you know, Tony, you've asked uh, you've asked me a lot of questions. Uh, that's a new one. I, yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah. Well, you know what? How would you uh, like to visit a moment in 1964? We're going to go back to Texas. Uh, We're going to go to San Antonio this time. And uh, we'll find out what happened when uh, one of the biggest acts in the world, they weren't at that time, but later on, what happened when one of the biggest acts in the world got booed off the stage and replaced by trained monkeys. So what do you think? Shall Shall we head back and find out what the heck went on? Uh, I, if you didn't take me, I'd go by myself. Yeah, we have to go. Yes. All right, let's go. So road trip time. Road trip. Maps. Check. Snacks. Double check. Tunes. Check. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Bashman. And we are cruising the rock and roll highway in our way back music machine. Are you ready, my friend? I sure am. I have the feeling this is going to be the start of a great adventure. Kind of a magical mystery tour. Somehow I knew you were going to say that. So in order to find out about this very spinal tapish moment, we uh, need to head back to San Antonio in 1964. So can you punch that in? Oh, in seconds, yeah. All We're right. In. All right, here we go. Hey, kids, spaghetti for lunch. Spaghetti, whee! Spaghetti, spaghetti! You don't have to call them twice for this. This is new craft spaghetti, new mild American style, and it has a flavor kids love, sort of tomatoey sweet. Jim and I like it, too. Of course, the big thing is you cook it yourself. It's not like spaghetti that has to stand around in the sauce. This tastes fresh and homemade because it is. All you add is tomato paste, and you get almost twice the sauce other spaghetti dinners give you. And there's good craft cheese right in the sauce. In 15 minutes, you cook the whole thing fresh. I know your spaghetti twirlers will like this. Remember, now there are two craft spaghetti dinners. New mild American style and tangy Italian style. And you'll want to try these other good meals. Macaroni and cheese, noodle with chicken, craft home-cooked dinners, the quick kind you cook up fresh. You're a Simpsons fan. Homer Simpson would be all over that. (laughs) All right, here we are back in Texas. We enjoyed it so much last week that I thought we should do another trip. So I love Texas. It's so big. It is. And uh, this time we're in San Antonio and we're at a state fair where a... British group by the name of the Rolling Stones is doing their first U.S. tour. And they are playing at the State Fair and also on the uh, bill that week or that show is Bobby V and George Jones. You know, George Jones, the country singer, right? Old Possum. Yeah. So this is uh, June 7th, 1964. And the Rolling Stones took the stage right after a an act that featured uh, trained monkeys, performing monkeys. And when the Rolling Stones took the stage, I don't think this probably was the best 
audience for them. Perhaps maybe they just didn't know if it was a joke or or what was going on when the Stones took the stage. But uh, they promptly ended up getting booed off and uh, they had to bring back the monkeys. So a little bit of an inauspicious debut for the Stones in the States here. So, uh, yeah, they got booed off the stage and they brought back the monkeys to uh, please the audience. So how about that? This is this is such a spinal tap moment for those of you who've seen the movie when they're 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 double billed with a, a puppet show, right? Yeah, on the market, <laughs> and they don't even get top billing. It says puppet show and spinal tap. So. Spinal tap. <laughs> so it would have been it would have been the trade monkeys and the Rolling Stones. Well, <laughs> I I wonder if this is the story that inspired that moment in the movie. Like you never know, hey, because there's it has to be. Like, I can't think of, I mean, it, it absolutely has to be. But see, this was the rule that the Beatles had. The Beatles had a very strict rule with Brian Epstein, and that was, we are not coming to America unless we're number one and we're not going to be an opening, especially for our monkeys. But um, <laughs> they were not going to be an opening act because they said they had seen a lot of British artists, Cliff Richards, who was, Cliff Richards, who was huge in England, was opening for Bobby V in North America. And they said we're not going to be an opening act. We're either the headliners or we're not going. So, oh, good for them, and and obviously based on experience, <laughs> well, it certainly paid off. I mean, um, can you? I don't know if there's anything more humiliating. Yeah, I can't imagine. Like that's one of those worst gig ever type stories. Eh? I mean, it's just it's it's. I know that when the and we're going to be talking about this band later on, the Sex Pistols. When they played Texas, they got booed off the stage too, but for different reasons. But uh, I wonder what they opened with. Yeah. Satisfaction, no, Satisfaction 65, right? Yeah, so, so I don't know. They probably did a lot of blues covers, right? In 64, they were still playing a lot of blues. and um, Too Much Monkey Business by the uh, Chuck, by Chuck Berry, maybe? or. Uh... <laughs> but anyway, what a great story. Do <laughs> the Monkey by, you know. <laughs> and I can only imagine... Uh, that story probably gets more uh, elaborate with every retelling, I'm sure. Well, you know, the funny thing is, at this time, their first album had been released in the States, and it had peaked at number 11, but not during this week. It had just come out in May. It was still slowly going up the charts, and there was no big hit singles off their first album in America. Um, I, I'm just wondering, maybe they had teamed up with a monkey as a duet. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I'm sure it was, uh, you know, just a case of wrong performers for this particular gig because I'm sure that audience, like I said, had no idea. You know, I, I was reading an article uh, about this event as well, and and that's what they were saying is that, is that the audience just didn't know how to take it at all, um, and they they didn't know if it was a joke or or what was going on, so they, they ended up booing them off the stage. But you know, I also read that. The Stones were getting complaints uh, at their hotel. People w- would be calling uh, the front desk and saying, there's women in the pool topless, right? And it was the lads from the Stones with their long hair. Yeah, because their, their hair was actually quite longer than the Beatles. Yes. I mean, they were much more unkept than the Beatles, right? And, and very skinny guys, too. So, yeah, they were getting complaints about topless women in the pool. And <laughs> That's funny. Now, that's funny, too. <laughs> I'm just thinking, I wonder if Bubbles... Uh, Michael Jackson's chimp was part of this whole scene. Um, I guess Bubbles wouldn't be born yet. No, Bubbles probably wasn't born yet, but uh, it's probably passed down, right, from monkey to monkey. (laughs) Okay, enough monkey business here. (laughs) Oh, I knew you. I was waiting for that, Tony. (laughs) 
So, Aaron, uh, what was on the charts that week? We should talk about that. I'd... <laughs> well, before we do that, you, you you mentioned something to me that this was the tour where they met a guy named Bobby Keys, who became pretty big collaborator collaborator with the Stones, right? Yeah, with Keith Richards. I mean, they were tight, uh, thick as thieves, for sure. Yeah, and he was from Lubbock. Yeah, Lubbock, Texas, where Buddy Holly was from. And Lubbock, uh, you know, rears its head again. I know it's in that drinking water in Lubbock, Texas, but uh, yeah, Bobby that... Keys, just for those of you who want a connection, he released a record on Ringo Starr's short-lived Ringo Records uh, called Give Me the Key, which didn't chart anywhere on the entire planet, but uh, there you go. Yeah, that's a pretty neat coincidence, and uh, you know, at least something good came out of that, right? So, Well, you haven't heard the record. <laughs> All right, um, so, so what was on the charts? Well, this is a funny chart. I, I got to be honest with you. I was kind of laughing when I was was t- looking at this. Number five was the uh, wonderful Andy Williams with "Call Me Irresistible." Number four was an album that had been number one the week prior, called "The Beatles' Second Album." Number three was the soundtrack to the, I guess, the Broadway play "Hello Dolly," because oh, the film go. comes out in '68, right? Uh, number two is Barbara Streisand and the soundtrack for "Funny Girl," and then number one is Louis Armstrong with. Hello, Dolly. You oh, know, there um, you go. And and wasn't wasn't the Beatles' second album actually their third album? Am I correct? Is that in the states? Yes, absolutely. But yes. they called it the second album. So <laughs> this is this is this is where my my um, my math skills come from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess do you have Hello, Dolly in your record collection? I don't. I don't. Yeah, neither do I. Um, actually, I do. To tell a lie, I have. Um, the soundtrack because my mom had it she liked them but I'm, I'm fascinated by this 64 the british invasion started and and four of the five albums in the top five are what i would call standards right like yeah andy williams and unbelievable but yeah and pretty neat uh you know that lewis armstrong in the 60s was uh, hitting the charts i mean wow. what a what an interesting career eh? i love him too he's just <laughs> <laughs> He's so great. He did some really good music with Bing Crosby, you know, really good stuff. So, well, he's a fascinating um, guy. I'm reading a book right now, actually, that is uh, tracing the history of Jasmine from New Orleans as it spread out across the United States and across the world. And uh, really interesting, uh, you know, because he was one of the seminal figures, right? And, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, but it talks about who came before him and, and, uh, what a life he had, even as a youth, very troubled youth, you know, and uh, got sent to a home for wayward boys. And for did you hear what happened with him? You know, I I, I, I do, but I can't remember. My, my brain is, I'm, I'm rocking my brain. What happened? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Lewis, at the age of 11, thought it would be a good idea at uh, New Year's Eve during the festivities to uh, fire a loaded handgun into the air. So... <laughs> So that was, uh, he ended up, uh, you know, being taken to this uh, juvenile home. And that was where he actually learned to play the uh, cornet first. And then, uh, which is a cornet, you know, it looks just like a trumpet. Uh, yeah. But uh, then uh, moved on to the trumpet. So he learned at that uh, home and he had to bug the band director there quite a bit. And finally, they they let him. And uh, that's where it started. What do you think of him as a, as a musician, Tony? Because you're a jazz guy, so you know better than I would. So how is he as a, as a musician? Well, Louis Armstrong was the first uh, great improviser. So right. his legacy is huge in the jazz world, you know, because he was the, he was the 
guy that first started people were intri- uh were improvising before Louis Armstrong but he was the first great one who went beyond just embellishing the melody and uh you know he he would do all kinds of things in his solos uh, bef- prior to him the solo would be very much centered on the melody but uh, he took it in a different direction so that's his big big legacy and then, of course, when he started singing, right? I mean, those records he did with Ella Fitzgerald, for example, are, are like classics, right? Oh, yeah. They're uh, they're wonderful. I love those. Yeah, me too. I love Ella Fitzgerald as well. So, Well, you know what, Aaron? Uh, we have been... Oh, I love Ella Fitzgerald too, by the way. Um, we have been in Texas a couple of weeks in a row, and we're going to be going to London as well. So... And we're going to be in the 70s. We're going to go on June 7th again, but we're going to cross the pond to London to 1977. So you ready for that? <laughs> another another almost monkey moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely ready, yes. Yeah, this is another great story. All right, punch it in, and here we go. So here we are, June the 7th, 1977, and we're at the River Thames in London, England. And we're here because a band called the Sex Pistols is having a party uh, while they're celebrating the Queen's Jubilee or Silver Jubilee. And they're performing Anarchy in the UK outside the Houses of Parliament on a boat. And as soon as that boat docks, they're going to get arrested. So here we are talking about the Sex Pistols. Now, Tony, the Pistols are a funny, funny band, right? I mean, everyone talks about the Pistols, but did you know they actually only released one album? I did not know that. I mean, I assumed they released a few. Yeah. Well, they, there's a few with their name on it, and they're all greatest hits or repackages or concerts. But they actually recorded one whole album as a unit of, of the Sex Pistols. And, and um, so the Sex Pistols were, of course, Johnny Lydon, Johnny Rotten, Sid Vicious, um, Paul Jones, Paul Cook, and Steve Jones. Paul Cook on drums, Steve Jones on guitar and bass. So... So they're 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 infamous because they kind of started punk rock in England, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, here's a question for you: They had a bass player named Glenn Matlock, who actually recorded on the album just before the album came out. He was kicked out of the band. Do you know why? Oh boy! Yeah. Well, I just saw the notes that we did, but I'll let you uh, you go ahead because it's a great. He was one. Kicked, he was kicked out because he admitted to liking the Beatles. He was, <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? You're out of the bed, mate. You like the Beatles. That's right. You're fired. Um, You're fired. To borrow a phrase. Now, later on, Steve Jones of the band said he was actually left. He, he was kicked out of the band because he didn't look like a sex pistol. He really didn't. If you look at photos of Glenn Matlock, he looks pretty clean cut. Um, and it was, <laughs> I love this comment. He, um, he, he, he didn't look like a sex pistol, and he was always washing his feet. His <laughs> mum didn't like the songs. It's just out there, isn't it? I like the washing feet. Yeah, me too. But it's just, it's so out there that it's fitting the theme of this show so far. I know. Because it's like, why are you, because you wash your feet. Now, later on, Johnny Lydon, he said that the, um, you know, he got kicked out of mutual agreement. No, sorry, Glenn Matlock's book. He said he left the band because he didn't get along with the other guys, which is quite probably very true. Now, when I saw the Pistols, in the nineties, oh, he you was got to see them again. Wow! Sorry? You got to see them. Wow! Yeah, um, it, what, yeah, that was quite a night. <laughs> after after three songs, Johnny Lydon threatened to walk off the stage if people didn't stop spitting on him. Oh wow! 
Um, and my, my, my favorite moment was he came back out and he demanded that the person who was doing the spitting have a spotlight on him. And Lyon's comment to the audience was, Toronto, this is what your social welfare has produced. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm taking it that he didn't endear himself with the locals, eh? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> it was a wild night, let me tell you. Anyways, um, so yeah, so this, so this is the night when the pistols... You know, we're sailing on the River Thames, blasting out, you know, anarchy in the UK, uh, being the bad boys of uh, punk that they were, you know. And, you know, I can't help but think that whole, when punk started, you know, in the mid, uh, mid-70s mid there, um, mm. what a time that must have been. It must have felt a little bit like it felt back in the 50s when rock and roll first started, I would think, because it was a whole new direction. And the other thing is that you didn't, I mean, I mean let's be totally honest you know you didn't have to be that talented to play in a punk band right you you didn't you hear interviews like this we didn't even know how to play right they and uh, you learn a couple of chords and, and to me that sounds very much like it it might have been in the in the 50s right when guys were getting up on stage and playing three chord songs and and uh jamming in their garages and things like that but uh punk must have felt very very much the same way i i mean i i was too young in 77 i would have been only eight years old right but i imagine someone who's 15 16 what a time that must have been well i was i was 14 and i remember i remember the pistols and they, they got a lot of news coverage when they came over to america to tour with the um, infamous sid vicious who as we know was accused of murdering his girlfriend nancy spongen at the hotel chelsea hotel in new york city and then later od'd in jail on a gift of heroin then from his mom. Happy birthday, Sid. Here's some heroin. And he OD'd, because it was apparently too pure. Um, so it, the whole story is just a mess. I mean, you know, there's a very famous clip, and I have it, where the Pistols play their last ever show in the first incarnation. And Lion's on stage in San Francisco, and he just goes, have you ever had the feeling you've been cheated? <laughs> I mean, it's like, wow. Uh, yeah, Johnny, thanks. Um, so anyways, yeah, the Pistols, are, they, they, I'm, I find them fascinating, quite frankly. and, and uh, I do too. Yeah, and I was a punk. Tony, I don't know if I ever told you this, but when I was a, a late teen, I was, uh, I had, you know, the yellow spiked hair. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm still, I'm waiting, to, still nope. waiting to see that picture. <laughs> one day, one day. <laughs> <laughs> but you said something, you said it must have been an incredible time to hear punk. And you look at the top five albums in America at the time, and you're looking at things like, Number five was Chicago 8. Oh, wow, yeah. America Hearts. Soundtrack to the film Tommy. Earth, Wind, and Fire, That's the Way of the World. And Elton John, Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. Wow. I mean, it's just, it's, 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 can you imagine, you know, hearing the Pistols with that grouping of albums, right? Judy Collins is still in the top 20. And an album that you hold near and dear to your heart, the Roger Whitaker's Greatest Hits, right? Well, yeah, and, and, I grew up, my parents were both big Roger Whitaker fans. And so I think we wore out uh, all of the Roger Whitaker vinyl that we had. And uh, it was playing nonstop on the turntable when I grew up all the time. Well, and, and he, I mean, his big hit was, um, what's the name of the song? I just went out well, the last just, farewell. Last the farewell. last farewell. And then I don't believe in if anymore. That was uh, another great one. Yeah. I got a lot of his, a lot of his old albums on vinyl actually. So, I should uh, ask my mom if she's still got them because uh, she she just might. But uh, 
And a great whistler, eh? Was he ever a good whistler? Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Did you know that in 20, 2006, the, the Pistols were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but they refused to attend, calling the museum a piss stain? Oh, that, that sounds, you know, pretty much uh, par for the course, right? But, uh, and uh, they, were re- they, were, they were replaced by a monkey. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I know. But you know what? Uh, What do you think uh, if we insert some Canadian content into tonight's show for our final road trip here? Well, and somewhere near where you live. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's go to Ottawa. What do you think? Well, I you know I'm all for it. Let me. What year do you want me to punch in? Oh, punch in 1995. June what 13th? Uh, Yeah, I think it was the 13th of June 1995. Okay, here we go. All right, Aaron, June 13th, 1995. We are in Ottawa because that is the hometown of one Alanis Morissette who released one of the absolute monster albums of the 90s. Jagged Little Pill. And this is one of those albums, you know, it was like when we were talking about Sgt. Pepper last week, but where do you start with Jagged Little Pill? What a what a once-in-a-generation album. Unbelievable. Pretty million copies, eh? Yeah, it was uh, incredible. And uh, way ahead of its time, in my opinion. And I did an old podcast episode when I was a solo podcaster. I did a, an episode all about this album, and I and I was very forthcoming about it. I didn't like the album when it first came out. I wasn't ready as a listener for an album like that. And uh, What didn't you like about it, Tony? I just found it so out there. It just was jarring, almost. Uh, and um, now it is one of my favorite all-time albums. Like, I, I play Jagged Little Pill in its entirety all the time. It, but, really? Uh, yeah. But I, just, I think, uh, and I said that in that podcast, I said, I think... It, I wasn't ready as a listener for what she was trying to say, but man, once I was ready, I, I totally get it. Incredible, incredible album, you know, uh, smashed more doors down for women singer songwriters. What, what an accomplishment. And then it went on to be an incredibly, I think it was nominated for more Tony awards as a play than any other play in history or something. Yeah, like uh, that's true, right? With the blo- the Broadway pl- uh, play, the debuted, Broadway play, yeah, yeah, yeah. in yeah. two thousand and eighteen. But uh, you know, the the other thing that's so strange about that album to me is how it's just seemed to uh, come out of nowhere. You know, like she had two albums before that, and she was a pop princess. Well, much like the Pistols. I mean, you wouldn't expect her to come out with Jagged Little Pill, given when you, she came, when she had a band in Lannis, right? Or yeah. she went as, as the name of Lannis? That's right. And she was also on that YTV show, You Can't Do That on Television. That's right. That's um, right. You, so you didn't expect her to come out with an album as, I'm going to just, I'm going to say it's angry. There's a lot of anger on that album. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, so, I mean, all props to her and Glenn Ballard, her collaborator. Boy, they, uh, what a, what a team. And, uh, just a just a monumental achievement again, uh, and like I said, one of my favorite albums to listen to. You have a favorite song off the album? Love you ought to know. I like a lot of them. I love hand in my pocket. Um, good boy, be a good boy. You know that song? Mm-hmm. Oh my! Sure. That one. That one. Uh, 
Yeah, those three come to mind right away. What about you? Do you have? A- uh, I, I I lean towards you learn. Yeah, you uh, learn's I, a fantastic I like one. I mean, head over feet. God, there's so many of them. Well, I don't think in 1995 you could. And this is another thing that it was played on every station. Yes. You'd hear it on rock stations. You'd hear it on alternative stations. Uh, top 40. I mean, it was played everywhere. Hmm. So she ended up leaving Ottawa, of course, went to Toronto uh, when Sorry. she <laughs> uh, after she finished high school, but then uh, ended up, you know, going down to Los Angeles as a lot of musicians do, and that was where she thrived. And uh, you know what a the, the recording sessions with Glenn Ballard, the way that they he said they wrote at such a furious pace once they started, it would just be. Work, 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 work while the inspiration struck. You know, a lot of albums uh, that are incredible like this happen like that. They unfold like that, right? Once it once it started, they just let the oh, inspiration I, take I, them. I'm curious if the record company, I mean, she she was on a different company when she put out the pop stuff, right? So they probably didn't want to deal with this album. But she signed to another label for, for Jagged Little Pill. Yeah. But well, she kind of forged a whole new identity, right? Yeah. It was, well, it was a total 180. Because mm-hmm. I, I I remember, you know, Alanis singing at like, you know, ice capades type events and things like that, right? And uh, our friend uh, Bernard Fraser interviewed her when he was working in uh, television, I, I believe, in uh, Hamilton. And he was when saying... She was, when, when she, she was, was in a her pop, pop princess? Pop princess. But he said that you could tell that she was ready to move out of that pop princess phase and that something you know, was going on upstairs where she was planning the next move of her career. But she so was, have, she was very, sorry. well, she played the game, you know, he said when he interviewed her and she talked about all the pop stuff, but he said, you could tell that she wanted more, you know, so. So did you like the albums that followed by any chance? Did you keep up with her or did you kind of lose interest? Like, I'm just curious because you, 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 you love this album. Did you keep listening or? I kept listening, but I, to me, that was her pinnacle. That's just my opinion. What about you? I liked it. The one that came after this, there was that song called, um, oh, I forget, forget the name. It'll come to me, but it, I liked the second, her second album after this one as well. Um, how about, you know, getting off all these narcotics? How about, hello? I forget the title of the song. So I'll look it up in a minute. But I, I, um, I kind of lost track of her, to be honest with you, until she redid Jagged Little Pill as an acoustic album uh, and the play. So I, I, so I was just curious if you kind of, did you ever see her live? No, I never saw her live. I mm. would love to, though. But uh, remember, the I sent you a clip the other day, though. One of my favorite Beatles covers is her cover of Dear Prudence. And last year, she, and I did like that cover, by the way. And, and you know me, I'm pretty... I'm, critical <laughs> but i liked her cover did you hear her cover of happy christmas wars over uh no i haven't yeah it came out last year 2020 oh. christmas of 2020 came out yeah it was good and she did it with her husband and it was quite a, and a nice video that goes along with it a really charming video you know so um yeah so you see there's a bit of a beetle question she must be a beetle fan if she's doing dear prudence yeah um but what a great performance that was and and uh a neat version because it was different from the Beatles, but yet faithful at the same time, you know, but uh, loved it. Well, she put her own spin on it, right? Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, and, that's, and, that's, and that's the mark of a great cover version, right? So it's, it's um, thank you. That's the name of the song. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank you is a great song. <laughs> it just came to me, Tony. <laughs> 
Now, I'd like, like to fi- I'd like to find out what was on the charts, though, that week. Well, this is, again, one of those, you know, you look at the charts and you could see why this album, you made a point that it, it was so different from everything else. Number five was the soundtrack to Friday. Number four was the soundtrack to Pocahontas. Number three was Naughty by Nature's Poverty's Paradise. Here's a band that just literally disappeared. Number two, Live and Throwing Copper. Uh, an album my wife loved, and I, I'm going to full full disclosure. I didn't like it then. I don't like it now. Hootie and the Blowfish cracked rearview mirror. Yeah, I'm I, sorry. I'm not. I tried. A, I tried to, and I was never a big fan. But that was a huge album. <laughs> yeah, that was another. Can't go anywhere without hearing that album. But um, yeah, he's and now Darius Rucker's big in the country field, right? Well, that's right. In fact, he he's in the country hall of uh, the Hall of Fame now, isn't he? Or the whatever he is. Yeah. yeah. And the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The Grand Ole Opry. Yeah, interesting. Eh? I, I, I remember um, when he did Wagon Wheel, that cover of Wagon Wheel. I was like, "Whoa, wait a sec! That's the Hootie and the Blowfish guy." Now that's that's a, there's an interesting story to that song. Do you know who wrote that song? That was uh, Dylan, right? Yeah. I mean, how many people knew it was Dylan? I mean, it was one of those really weird things where people are kind of going, "Dylan wrote this song." Yeah, Bob. He never recorded it though. No, but uh, man, what a great song. He had um, he had almost finished a song, and he there was a band called Oak Crow Medicine Show. Mm-hmm. And he, he gave the, the song to them, and they finished it off. They didn't have the hit with it, but Darius Rucker, man, did that song take off. Oh, Just yeah. Took. Rucker's version was all over the place. All over the place. So uh, Bob Dylan strikes again, folks. Oh, well, there um, we go. Well, I still think it's funny that Adina Menzel starred as Alanis in the Broadway play. It's Frozen. See, <laughs> do you want to build a snowman? You want to know. <laughs> now, see, I've never seen Frozen because I'm not a, you know, just beyond. Uh, I don't have any kids who are young enough to, you know, to who are into Frozen and everything. But uh, that's interesting, though. It's an interesting choice to play Alanis. Yeah, I, I've seen Frozen. I saw Frozen too. As well, I got two daughters who still love the play, or sorry, the films. And and uh, you want to build a snowman? No. <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, uh, shall we head back to uh, 2021? Why not? Yeah, I think it's time to uh, find out what the kids are listening to today. So let's head back. Sounds good. Here we go. Ah, it's good to be home. But uh, Aaron, I've got uh, some good news for you. It's the good news. Well, (laughs) the good news is that the song that I'm giving you uh, is only two minutes and 45 seconds long. So that's excellent. <laughs> yep. So you're only losing two minutes and 45 seconds out of your life here. So are you ready for one step forward and three steps back by Olivia Rodrigo? Am I ready? No, but I'll go into it. I'm going to put it on right now. Okay. Let's uh, take a break and go. I'll get your reaction after. So uh, that song, Aaron, I figured I would be uh, a little more on the kind side uh, tonight. Uh, you know, mm. it, it's the the good thing about a song like that is at least that song could be performed live. There didn't seem to be a lot of auto tune, but I'll I'll get your thoughts. What do you think? You know, it wasn't a terrible song. She's she has something going here. Um, 
doesn't really go anywhere though. But I think she was influenced by Alanis Morissette. I hear a lot of influence from from Jagged Little Pill in that song, and that's not a bad thing. No, it's just that. But I think she, I think a lot of people were influenced by Jagged Little Pill. I think there's a lot of artists. Uh, I would argue Fiona Apple and people like that who kind of listened to what Alanis was doing and, and they incorporated it. Uh, it's okay. I mean, it's it, it's listen. I'll take that over a lot of the other stuff I've heard over the last decade. But you know, it's um, it's uh, yeah, it's pretty good. I didn't mind it. I mean, I liked it more than I thought it would. How's that? Yeah, um, that would. Uh be my reaction too and um speaking though of fiona apple i love fiona apple that, well i do too i i i i do as well but do you not see a connection between fiona apple and alanis morissette oh absolutely absolutely and i can see how this song you're right uh, could have been inspired by jagged little pill um you know for me at least the this song thankfully could be performed live reasonably well i could see her just sitting at a keyboard playing you know yeah, and it's and it's 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 a you know there's a there's an element of of uh, absolute honesty to the song, and and I admire that. Like it's, you know, it's a it's not a horrible song. Like I, I, I again, it's not you know it's not like I'm being Captain Critical here, and I don't mean to, but um, of, of all the other stuff I've listened to, uh, it, it's pretty good. Hey. Fiona Apple, did you ever hear about that album title she put out, which kind of set a world record for one of the, the longest album title on the charts? No, what was the title? Okay, ready? Yep. Okay. The idler wheel is wiser than the driver of the screw, and whipping cords will serve you more than ropes will do ever do. Oh, my goodness. Same <laughs> <laughs> with the album, man. That's wild. <laughs> uh, she, she was an interesting uh, artist. I, I haven't heard a lot of her, though, lately. Have you? No, well, I hear things once in a while. She's on guests or tribute albums or something like that. But uh, she had she has a great deal of talent, and I kind of miss her, you know. Didn't her she do? And, a, um, she did a Beatles cover, didn't she? She did. I'm just racking my brain when it was. Was it was it I'm across just, the universe? Did she do it for the film? She may have. She may have. I thought she she covered across the universe, but I could be very wrong. No, I, I think she, you're right. I think you're right. I, I can look it up, but yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> So, Tony, this has been an absolute treat. I mean, listen, you picked a good song. Now I feel bad because I'm going to try to find a good song you like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this was uh, another fantastic road trip. Can you believe this was our, what, 11th road trip? No, I can't. I mean, I think time just just flies. You know what? Yeah, she did. By the way, Across the Universe was on the Pleasantville soundtrack in 1998. Okay. And uh, it was a hit, yes. Yeah. Good memory, Tony. Good memory. Well, I just remember liking the cover. So, um, you know, I, I thought, like you say, I'm not always a fan of Beatle, uh, Beatle covers, but uh, when they're done well, it's awesome, you know? Sarah McLaughlin's Blackbird. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a nice one. That's a nice one. Yeah. All right. Yeah, 11, 11 road trips. And you know what the funny thing is? I want to keep doing more. Oh, I'm me ready. too. I'm ready. Me too. I'm ready. All right. Well, you know what? Uh, since we're pulling up here, I shall see you next week. Promise. <laughs> All right. See you later, pal. Bye. Music for today's episode of the Wayback Music Machine podcast was written by Rick Denis. The show notes, chart selection, and Spotify playlist were created by Aaron Badgley. And the artwork, recording, editing, and sound production was done by Tony Stewart. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to tell a friend or two. 
And don't forget to click follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player to get the latest episodes automatically. And we'd love it if you would leave us a review. You can also engage with the show by going on our website and leaving us a voicemail. We may even play your voicemail on an upcoming episode. Thanks for taking this road trip with us, and we'll see you next time on the Wayback Music Machine Podcast. Hey, turn the radio up. I love this song. The Wayback Music Machine podcast is a Stewie Tunes production. It's not just business, it's personal. And Signature Theatre's new musical, No Place to Go. When dedicated employee George discovers his company is relocating to Mars, he must decide whether to go and uproot his family's life or embark on an unknown venture. Featuring DC star Bobby Smith, No Place to Go is an irreverent and humorous musical with an enterprising twist. Now playing at Signature Theatre through October 16th. Get your tickets at SigTheatre.org.